And welcome back to the Panty Personals. And it is February, so regardless of what's happening outside your window, we've just had St. Bridget's Day, so it must be spring. And with the perfect timing I'm known for and great serendipity, my guest today is Idel Mead, a woman who's so in tune with that ancient Celtic goddess that her last album is called Bridget's and Patricia's and gives voice to the stories and experiences of women in Ireland, from Bridget Cleary to the cervical cancer sandal. And while many of those songs are ballads drawing on Edel's background in jazz and love of folk, one of them, Long Way to Go, is a shouted out spoken word piece, a rage really against a culture of misogyny that was echoed in the recent public debate over violence against women. But more about that later. Edel is a Clonmel woman, but she's now made Limerick home where she teaches vocal and performance at the University of Limerick. But she's worn many hats and travelled many turns in the road along the way. She's worked as a journalist, spent some time singing in Spanish in Havana and was a seasoned jazz performer for nearly a decade. Welcome to the Panty Personal. Thank you so much. Um, you're a bit like Madonna, here. aren't you? Constantly reinventing yourself. <laughs> and I'm very impressed and somewhat inspired, I have to say, at your sort of openness to learning new things and changing because apparently your lockdown was mostly about um, taking whole loads of online classes. You've been learning the tin whistle by Zoom. You've been mentored in Shando singing. But first, because we have just had St. Bridget's Day, I want to talk to you about that because you do sort of have a special kinship with her. And I should probably just say, for the benefit of non-Irish listeners, Bridget was a pre-Christian Celtic goddess here in Ireland. And then later on, uh, perhaps co-opted by Christianity, we be, there was a Saint Bridget in the Christian church. And every Irish person grew up in school on Saint Bridget's Day, making these little crosses that we traditionally make. And she's a very popular, revered, well-loved saint and pre-Christian goddess, a character in Irish culture, really. And uh, this year, finally, really, Bridget has been given her own national holiday and it's going to be a new national holiday in this country starting from next year. But this is sort of the first year that they're sort of marking it nationally. So talk to me, Adele, about your love for Bridget. Yeah, um, it's really funny the way it happened. I spent quite a while as as a jazz vocalist yep. and it got to the point where people kept referring to me as this expert in jazz and blues. And I felt so uncomfortable with that because I'm from County Tipperary. You know, both of my parents are from farming backgrounds and it just didn't seem to make sense that I knew more about music of African-American origin and knew practically nothing about native music from from Ireland and um, it was around that time I started reading this book by Sharon Blackie called If Women Rose Rooted and it's a fantastic book and it just it kind of opened my imagination and all of a sudden then I, I found out that this woman Sharon Blackie was based she was based in the UK and she was going to be giving um a talk at the Bridget of Fawhart Festival. This was in 2018. So I went up and it was all of these lovely women, just like a festival celebrating like dancing or singing or art. And that was kind of the start of it. And actually that summer as well, I felt drawn to go and visit Kildare. Does Bridget have a connection to Kildare? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Kildare is where she set up her cathedral and like everything in, in Kildare town is like named after her. The streets, the there's a Solace Vrida Centre, which is these Brigidine 
sisters who've basically dedicated their life to Bridget. So I was just like, this is weird. And when I got there, I realised there's all these fabulous murals on the wall dedicated to Bridget. And I knew that I wasn't going to be getting the bus back to um, Dublin that evening. So I ended up staying overnight and giving myself the next day as well. So that was kind of the start of it. Actually, I left out the most obvious thing about Bridget is that she's always been associated with women and the feminine. And so I think this, our new national holiday is essentially going to be a sort of a women's national holiday. You know, that's... I think so. Yeah, like, I, think so. I mean, Ireland is kind of known for Paddy's Day, like, you know, especially outside of the country. And that's a patriarchal holiday. So, you know, the fact that Bridget's Day is going to be celebrated. Yeah, it, it's so important. Why do you think you are drawn to the idea of Bridget? I suppose as a woman myself, I just see so much misogyny. I see so much gender disparity everywhere like all of the time so for me Bridget represents the divine feminine Mm -hmm. I suppose is about celebrating women that are amazing pointing out misogyny just calling it out because feminism isn't you know just about the male and and the female it's just I really believe in in fairness and social justice and Mm -hmm. I think for me Bridget kind of represents all of those things. Do you think you've always been particularly sensitive to social justice and all of that all your life or it's something you grew into? Yeah, I would say something I grew into. I mean, certainly in in jazz, like I would have been really interested in people like Billie Holiday or Nina Simone who would have been really advocating social justice. And yeah, yeah, I really love protest songs and I love the power of music. And I think music, it can be really subtly powerful. Like if we look at something like Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi, like that's such a boppy sing-along song. But essentially it's a song about, you know, the climate crisis. And I just think, yeah, music is really powerful and it can be used to create change. Mm. Well, and actually one of the funny things, well, not funny, but interesting and cute, I would say, about your sort of backstory. And it interestingly also has a nun in it because it was a nun in school that really developed your love of music and she sounds like quite a gas character. Well, yeah, funnily enough, um, in both my primary school and in secondary school, there were two amazing nuns. When I was in Clonmel um, in primary school, the principal there was Sister Bernadette Maria Sweeney and an amazing singer. And like she had us like everyone in the school singing before school would start. You know, we'd be singing at the 11 o'clock break. We'd be singing Grace Before Meals. Like it was all hymns. Yeah. And I remember her distinctly saying, you know, imagine that you're singing and there's an old man at the back of the church and he's going deaf, but he really, really wants to hear you. So I was getting great singing training, you know, from around the age of six without realising it. And then in the Loretto, where I went to um, secondary school, the principal there was Sister Bridie. She was a phenomenal woman again. It's almost too perfect that your (laughs) primary school nun was called Maria. Bernadette Maria. Yeah, Maria. And how do you solve a problem like Maria? I mean, oh, it's yeah. very sound of music. And then Sister, Sister Bridie then, and she's a, a complete legend. And um, I mean, she even like 20 years later, since I did the Leaving Cert, sent me a congratulations card this year when my album came out. Like she's just a lovely, lovely woman and just cared so much about the students. In Ballonrobe, County Mayo, it was a... Uh, well, there was a number of musical nuns, but the one that I, so Sister Rosario was in charge of the school band. I had to play the glockenspiel. Oh, very uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a whiz with the glockenspiel. Uh, um, and so, you, you, I mean, you're obviously interested in music, uh, you know, developed relatively young, it sounds like. 
that wasn't coming from the family. That was coming from outside the family. Oh, not at all. Yeah, I think it was co- it was coming from school. I mean, I was always very shy in school and it was just a way to express myself. And I suppose it was a thing that people would comment and say, my God, you know, you're really good at that. And it kind of came as a shock, I suppose, to me and to everyone else. And were your parents supportive or did they want you to get a job in the civil service as well? Yeah, they did, actually. They really did. And they wanted me to be a primary teacher. And, you know, I did journalism in college and they were really upset when I went after that went and um, did another degree in jazz but I mean they've come around I think like when Tip FM in Clonmel did an interview <laughs> with me earlier this year then they thought you know oh well if Tip FM are, are supporting her she must be doing okay well, actually, now you mentioned your journalism degree there. And actually, it's sort of a, a funny, weird way that you managed to wrangle your way out of a journalism degree and into music. Well, the thing was, like, I knew I wanted a, a creative job. I, I wanted to work, I thought, in radio or TV. I just thought that'd be fun. And I love the Irish language. I was, I'm still am so passionate about it. But I just thought I wanted a fun, creative job, something different, meeting lots of people. I didn't want, oh, my God, to be in, a, in an office every day. That wasn't for me. So... I knew I wanted to be a musician, but I didn't even know how to go about it. Like at the time, there was no BIM. I didn't know that you could do jazz in Ireland and I I was never drawn to opera. So I I didn't actually have any idea how I would go about being a a musician or a a singer. And I didn't know anyone who was doing that. So am I right in thinking that you were doing the journalism course and it was the journalism course that gave you the opportunity to go to the States? Yeah. And and then while you were there in the States, you sort of almost underhandedly snook started to sneak in music explain that to me yeah yeah well when I first moved to Dublin I had no music going on in my life for the first time ever and it was a very it was a very tough time like I really missed it and then I joined the Gardner Street Gospel Choir which is still Uh, going strong and absolutely loved it I just felt like I I had met my my tribe and you know straight away I I was like singing with them in the Olympia Theatre and Vicar Street like it was brilliant then just before I had the opportunity to go to Chicago, I went to see the movie Ray, based on Ray Charles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I'd never, Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx, exactly. It won loads of Oscars. Um, I'd never heard music like that before. It just moved me in my soul. I was so enthralled. And then when I went over to Chicago, so for example, there were loads of practical radio broadcasting, television producing jazz singing styles for the contemporary singer there was an amazing class that I took which was like a social history of rock and roll so actually that's where I learned all about like the history behind Motown and the blues that's I suppose what opened my mind to the power of music and so was it this time spent in Chicago and studying your music on the side that's where your love of jazz was fostered Well, it was the blues, actually, because Chicago is, you know, so um, closely associated with the blues. There's amazing blues clubs in Chicago. Kingston Mines is one of them. Buddy Guys is another. So I just loved this music. And when I then um, went to audition for New Park, you know, I went in saying I want to be a blues singer. And they said to me, well, you know, you'll do a little bit of blues. It's mostly jazz. Are you still interested? So like for me, I just knew that it was going to be a good education. So it felt like a good fish mama me have and papa me have god bless the child that's got his own that's got his own so you went to new park and did a degree in jazz and so when you 
finish studying, you start to become a, you know, performer in your own right and all that. You start harking back to sort of the tradition, the American songbook, jazz standards and stuff. Yeah, well, I suppose at the very start, I would have um, had all this contemporary kind of avant-garde kind of music and did quite a few gigs. But there's a very limited audience for that, as you can imagine. So I realised, okay, if I want people to actually show up to my gigs, yeah, it would be good to start um, singing some jazz standards. And I did a tour of all Billie Holiday's music. And again, it was sort of a way of how can I connect with people? How can I let them know who I am? I knew that I wanted to be doing my own music, but you kind of, you need to connect with people as well. And that just seemed like a way. But when you're gone, spend it as they don't come no relations give crust of bread and such you can help yourself but don't take too much mama may have and papa may have but God bless the child that's got his own but so your 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 jazz you know career continues but um how the hell do you end up in Havana singing in Spanish <laughs> Like, I remember a good few years ago, I just was in a bookshop, Hodges and Figgis or something, and saw a travel book of Cuba and saw all the pictures of those old cars and, you know, the pastel coloured buildings. And it just looks so um, romantic and idyllic. I was like, oh, my God, I have to go there. And then I came across a course that was being run by a a man called Clive Fenner. He was based in London and he used to take a group over to Havana and run a, run a music school. So I was like, oh my God, amazing. I have to do that. So I ended up going over there. I mean, I was the only Irish person and yeah, ended up singing in Spanish, just learning learning phonetically. Um, so it was brilliant fun. But while I was there, it just struck me. Hang on, you know, you're singing in Spanish now. You still know nothing about music from Ireland. Yeah. You know, get a grip. But isn't it interesting that you had to go all the way to Cuba to be inspired to learn more about Irish music. I suppose we don't often realise what's great yeah. on you know when we're right there in the centre of it but, but like when I was in Cuba and going to sleep at night I could hardly get to sleep because there was so much live music like it's everywhere and then when I came back like I noticed people were comparing Cuba to Ireland saying that they're two of the countries in the world where their traditional music is so important and it's everywhere and that's really what awoke the interest in Irish music for mm. me. And so, like, you came home and... So I came home and left my life in Dublin, where I'd been for 16 years, and moved to Limerick. And then I did an MA in songwriting, and then straight away did another MA in Irish traditional music performance. And, and now I'm doing Shanno singing and tin whistle lessons, and, like, I can play trad music on the piano. I could never do that before. You're a fabulous advertisement for lifelong education, aren't you? I just love it. Like, it gives me energy. And I don't watch TV. I gave up TV, you know, so I kind of try and use my my time wisely. And so if you sat down on a train journey beside somebody and you got into that chat that you have with someone on a train and they said, so what do you use? I'm a musician. What? Oh, so what kind of music do you do? What do you say now? 
Um, it's kind of a tough one. I don't think my music really fits in a box. It's kind well, of I can even contemporary hear folk. You, you know, questioning yourself <laughs> as you're saying that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, perhaps um, this is a case of show don't tell. Uh, and so um, you're going to do two songs for us today. Tell us about the first one. Um, the first one is called Song of the Seal and it's based on the Selkie legends. So when I was studying in um, UL, I learned about the Selkies and... Um, Selkies are kind of Irish uh, mermaids, right? Yeah, yeah. And the idea being like a seal, um, a woman who is half seal, half human. And, you know, she might be swimming in the water and at certain times of the year she can shapeshift into human form. Usually how the story goes is she's bathing on the shore. She's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Some fisherman spies her, steals her coat, her seal skin, and then she has to marry him. And it's just so unfortunate because she's never happy, even though she might be reasonably happy with, you know, the kids and everything. She's always longing to be somewhere else. But then even if she does return back to the water, she really misses her her kids. I'm, I'm just smiling to myself because all of these legends around the world about mermaids and that, they're always super hot. So I was like, what are fishermen? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, the mer creatures are never, you know, these ugly trolls. They're always super hot, babes. Um, did you write this song or it's a... Yeah, you, basically the chorus of it, which is a yawn that I came across that. It's said to be the cry of the seal woman herself. And I, I based the song around that. Lovely. So let's hear it. Upon a time, there was a man who lived by the sea. He traveled far from land and far from Suscari. One day he met a maiden bathing on the seashore. Her body was oiled and shiny in the sun. He'd not seen such beauty before. to her 
we be the man said to her marry me she knew she had no choice she could not fight or For her seal skin was gone and taken from sight. She was now in captivity.
gorgeous, absolutely fabulous. Thank you very much. I was transported there, transported into another... Into another world. Watery world. Mm. Yeah, I loved it. Oh, thank um, you. And listening to you, even though I'm not any sort of musician myself or anything, even I can sort of sense there's a lot of training in that uh, voice there. Uh, and you actually teach... A vocal performance or whatever in, in Limerick. Tell me about that. Um, well, I've been teaching. I've been teaching actually for a long time. It was funny how it happened. It was like back in 2007. Funnily enough, the course director from uh, DIT down the road of my journalism degree, when he heard that I was going to pursue music and, and singing specifically, he asked me would I give his wife singing lessons. And I was saying, um, oh, I've, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And he just really convinced me to do it. And then like she got her sister to come to me for lessons as well. So that's kind of how it started. And yeah, I'd been teaching one to one lessons for a good number of years and then started to focus more on teaching jazz because I suppose there's a lot of people that teach general singing. But, you know, if um, if, if you want uh, jazz, there's way less people to choose from. First of all, it was just teaching people to kind of you sing and use their voices. But then I was also doing courses, um, getting people to perform with a jazz trio live at a gig I fancy you tonight You're welcome to stay And sleep sideways with me I like your company The fire in the living room's gone out But we don't need it now Our eyes are on fire I find your Then when I moved to Limerick, they started, uh, I, I did, I was doing my master's in the Irish World Academy and they have various performing arts degrees. So they just invited me to, to teach there. So um, it's been lovely. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy particularly working with people who are committed, like in the sense that they're there doing a degree in, in voice. Yeah. So they take it really seriously. And um, yeah, it's very enjoyable work. Mm. But uh People who don't have that natural ability are very envious of people who can just open their mouth and gorgeous stuff comes out. But you see, it's not a case of just opening stuff and gorgeous stuff comes out. It's like anything, like you train. I mean, even before coming here, like I would have done all my, my vocal warm ups and stuff mm. this morning and ran through the songs. And like you do need to recognise that there is a bit of work involved. And the more you do it, you know, and you, le you learn as you go and it's confidence as well. Mm. Well, like, do you honestly believe that, that anybody can be taught to sing? I think so. Anyone that I've ever worked with who hasn't been super confident has always ended up being way better than they thought or they might have had one bad experience. So they're singing and they're like that and their whole body is tense. But like once you spend a bit of time getting them to relax because physical warm ups are a mm. huge part of it. Are you are you thinking you might? Singing might be a new... <laughs> no, but I've always thought of myself as somebody who's not musically gifted and not, you know, a, a sing, able to sing very well. Um, I think I can 
do the, the story selling part of a song. So like if I'm forced to do a song, like for example, it just chimes very beautifully with your work um, and your last album. Because I would say um, one of my favorite songs to sing in public is Patricia the Stripper. Oh. <laughs> because it's a story. You're just telling yeah, a story yeah. to a rhythm. And obviously there's some singing involved, but it's not, you know, it doesn't depend on the, you know, the sort of the musical tone of your voice. If you can tell the story and sell it, it's a really but fun thing see, to but do. But that's it. And everyone, everyone can find a way that works for them. Like obviously Whitney Houston, Aretha Franklin, Adele, these are people that are incredible singers. But yeah, as you, as you said, and particularly with jazz, I've learned that it's not about the voice, essentially. It's about what you do with it. Yeah. Blue moon You saw me standing alone Without a dream in my heart Without a love of my own Well, maybe I'll, I'll um, <laughs> give you some thought. Um, I actually want to come back to the album and some of the songs in particular. Um, basically, the album Bridges and Patricias, it's really stories of women and what it is to be a woman in, in today, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was just like, I suppose, looking at my own life and trying to make sense of, of the world around me. And I suppose like with Song for Bridget Cleary, for example, that's um, a true story that happened just out the road mm. from where I grew up with Long Way to Go, which is a, a very kind of provocative piece. Okay, let's talk about the Bridget song first, because um, interestingly, um, we had Maya Sophia, you know, the folk oh. singer, on, uh, on the podcast a while back. And she also has um, yeah, a song about, that's she, right. hers is called The Wife of Michael Cleary. Yeah. Um, but it's also the story of Bridget Cleary. Um, for people who don't know this really kind of shocking story, tell us the story. Bridget Cleary disappeared from her home. 26 years old and a sight to behold. Some said the fairies led her way. Yes, so the year it was 1895 and it was in a place called Ballyvadley, County Tipperary, which is just outside Feathered, which is, you know, 15 minutes outside of Clonmel. And this young woman, Bridget Cleary, was married to a man called Michael Cleary. They met in Clonmel. Anyway, they got married and they got a good house. And it was a very, like, very, very small rural village. And she was going around making her own clothes. So she was a very industrious, sort of forward thinking woman. Anyway, what happened was she got really, really sick at one point and the priest had been brought in to give her the last rites. Michael Cleary, her husband, got it into his head that she had been abducted by the fairies. This wasn't his wife, Bridget. This was a fairy changeling that had been left in her place. And um, what happened was he had like an oil lamp um, and held it up to her and she essentially was, was burnt to death. What's really um, shocking about it is there was loads of other people in the house at the time. Mm. Her husband and father, her aunt and four cousins, arrested and charged with her murder. 
26 years old How could this unfold? Some said the fairies led her astray And he had them all convinced that this wasn't Bridget Mm. And the court case took place He was charged um, with manslaughter And um, he said no Like So It's a story that has really just fascinated people ever since. I mean, it was on the it was on the cover of every newspaper in Ireland, England. It was even covered in the the New York Times. And I suppose it was also very significant because we were looking for home rule at the time. And they used that against us, saying that, oh, sure, like those people are going around, you know, killing each other over fairies and savages. There's a lot to it. I find it really fascinating. 26 years old, her story untold. He said the fairies led her astray. Fairy fay, tell to me, pray. What happened to this fair lady? It is fascinating because um, you, there are so many layers to it yeah. and your suspicions are aroused in so many ways. Yeah. Was he just trying to kill her? You know, was the whole thing exactly. a fake? Well, how much of it was, did he really believe? How did the, the her family and the neighbours were in the house at the time? Were they on board? Like, it's so there's, crazy. Exactly. And there's a wonderful book by Angela Burke, which really goes into it in, in great detail. And also the fairy beliefs were so strong at that mm-hmm. time as well. Yeah. But then you also have a song, Long Way to Go. Is song the right word for it? You no, it's know? more, it's a spoken so it's a word. It's yeah. yeah. And you won't know what it's like till you walk home at night alone. Heart racing, shaking, clutching your keys and phone. Looking over your shoulder, don't miss a beat till you're in the door. <sighs> Exhale, then you look at your screen and read. Women are more likely to be killed in their own homes by someone they know. We've a long way to go. We've a long way to go. And it is looking more at the situation today. You're referencing a lot of women, including Bridget, um, but then more contemporary, uh, you know. Savita. Yeah, Savita, um, Ashleen. Yeah, that's a piece that I, I really just felt completely compelled to, to write. Um, I was doing my MA songwriting at the time and we just had a lecture about Damien Dempsey and the teacher had played some of his music. And I really liked that idea of um, just spitting it out and saying it as it is. And then there was also another wonderful um, songwriter called Steo Wall who was in visiting. Do you know He's a good Steel? friend of mine. And, oh. um, and it's interesting, the two men you mentioned were, have both been guests here with us. Oh. Um, yeah. So like I heard the two of those guys kind of within a week of each other and it just hit me in a way that music didn't it was just the bare truth and I thought okay I'm going to try and write a spoken word it was the time when um, Donald Trump um, that whole locker room talk she's a dirty bitch 
She's a slut. She's a whore. What was she wearing? She wanted it for sure. Where's her husband? Grab him by the pussy, said the ruler of the land. Crooked. And then at the same time, so many people that I knew on Twitter and Facebook were sharing their own experience of Me Too. It was just, it was everywhere. So it's, um, yeah, it's pretty fired up. What do we have to do to make you believe? I believe, I believe her. I believe, I believe her. What do we have to do? Well, you know, I always say... Nothing gets your creative juices going quite like a bit of righteous anger, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and you've recently made a video for it. Um, well, it was it was a, it was a while ago now, but um, it, it was about a year ago. But I suppose really, we're but just doesn't it reference Ashlyn in the video. What about our vision? Our Ashlyn, our Vicky Phelan, our A.D. Roach, our Lavinia Kerwick, our Catherine Corliss, all these women. Hail Mary, Savita, Emma and all the lives lost in this dilemma. Pray for us now that the hour of our death won't come too soon. We've a long way to go. We've a long way to go. It does reference Ashling, but at the time when I wrote it, I was referring to the idea of an Ashling being a vision for Ireland. And it was only when I started rehearsing it again in the last few weeks, I was like, oh, my God. That is wild because I just watched it the day before yesterday. And I thought, oh, this is obviously very recent. She's very on the ball. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. But it's kind of also, it would also make you sick, the fact that I wrote that piece a while ago and it's still as relevant. Nothing has changed. Yeah. And it's all about long way to go. Do you think nothing has changed or do you think of, you know, the awful, you know, Ashley Murphy case? Do you think that? Um, I'm really of a mixed opinion. Like mm-hmm. I would like, to, I w- there's definitely signs, you know, that, that, that things have changed for the good. But at the same time, when you look at the leniency um, of different court cases, uh, yeah, I've mixed. I, I wouldn't yeah. be so optimistic to say, oh, yeah, it's all it's all positive from here on in. Well, I think so often these Things are sometimes, sometimes they're recognized in the moment as something, uh, kind of a tipping point or, you know, touchstone moment. For example, I think Savita is a good example of that. What happened to Savita, it was recognized in the moment as a touchstone moment that yeah. had the potential to change things. But then there, I think there are other examples of things where at the time they just seemed awful and grim. But in retrospect, we see them as sort of turning points. For example, um, I don't know if you know about the Declan Flynn murder in Fairview Park. Um, in the 80s, which really sparked off Ireland's gay rights movement. And I think at the time, people were just angry and pissed off. But I think in retrospect now, you know, we sort of credit that sort of awful moment as being a turning point. And and I wonder if the Ashley Murphy case might in, in the future be seen as something like that. Yeah, it, it, it could quite it could quite possibly like there definitely hasn't been a response like that. No. You're going to do a second song for us? Yeah. So talk to us about the next song. This is called Not For This World and I wrote this on behalf of my granny um, who lost a child just shortly after um, she was born and um, yes, so I wrote it on behalf of her. Lovely, let's hear it. Back home 
this world
Gorgeous. Thank you. Another gorgeous performance. Thank you very much. Um, so what's next for you, Del? What's happening? What's coming up? Um, well, actually, I've got a really nice um, set of dates coming up. I'll be at the Bell Table Limerick, Riverbank Arts Centre, Mermaid Bray. Um, lots of lots of gigs because when I released the album, we were in the height of the pandemic yes, and lockdown. Yeah. So um, I'm actually only getting the, the chance to perform the music now. So really excited about those gigs and yeah. then um i'll be off to america um in the summer i'll, I'll be doing um a research project at the smithsonian um mm, fancy and uh learning about appalachian ballads and stuff in north carolina of course i think you're going to have to start saying appalachia oh yeah that's what, i think that's what <laughs> they right. say yes yeah. you're right yeah i was watching that um apple tv series about the Purdue Pharma, you know, the, the Oxycontin. Yeah, there's oh. all lots all set, set in Appalachia and they keep calling it Appalachia. Oh, very good. Um, anyway, Edel, thank you so much for being with us here today. Oh, my it's pleasure. Been thank you so much you. for having me. I will uh, be very curious to see what you do next and uh, with your enthusiasm and zest for learning and uh, you know your your lack of fear of change in direction I wouldn't be surprised if you take up juggling or pole dancing <laughs> um, but anyway um, thank you so much for being here thank you um, so it's much. been absolutely lovely and uh, of course listeners you can see all the videos of those performances on YouTube as well and of course you can find all the other episodes of the Panty Personals on all the usual pa- podcast platforms and you can find all of those links and everything else you need to know about the Panty Personals and her older sister, Pantasocracy, on pantasocracy.ie. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. I've, I hardly let you get a word in. I feel like I no, was that's all the whole good. Time. No, 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 no. Good talkers are good. <laughs> well thank you so much a real pleasure to meet no, you I've, I've been to meet you. tuned in yeah. for so long and yeah just when I was watching The Living With Lucy as well I was like <laughs> yeah, just really excited <laughs>